0: Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. How the heck are you guys? I was talking about you. Your ears must be ringing. I was saying I have the best supporters and listeners throughout the years, and you're always sending me new amazing gigs for my speaking stuff or clients or supporting my books. I'm counting my blessings, people. I'm counting my blessings. Well, you should count your blessings because my next guest. Oh my God, I love this guy. I love him. He is a clinical psychologist that you definitely want to get tips for life from. Absolutely. Oh, you definitely would want to see him. And I know he takes people virtually. One of his main things that we need to do more, which I love, is play. Come on. Yeah, you got to grow up, but you're always a kid at heart. Enjoy, rate, Dr. Michael, do they call you Dr. Michael Alsi, or they call you Michael? Like, how should I refer to you today? Oh,
1: they call me Michael. Yeah.
0: Do they really? Yeah. Okay. Yo, Michael. All right. Anyhow, before we get into it, this is very intriguing, the therapy you're into, but I must ask you, like I asked all my guests, one word to best describe your past 30 days and then why? And any word goes. Oh, yeah. Anything. First thing that pops in your head.
1: It's for me, passion. I mean, you know, like there's such a passion for what I'm doing right now on so many levels, whether it's in mm-hmm. sessions, whether it's writing, whether it's speaking. I think that, and I have a four-year-old son. And and for me, it's like the passion of of just following all this stuff and enjoying it. Like there's such a joy in this stuff. That's what I find is most interesting. I think you said it before, too. We were talking before we got on here. It's, it's all about play. Yeah. Like, if there isn't play, what are we doing?
0: Listen, you're preaching to the choir. I'm like a big kid. So everyone always, always says to me, even to this day, when are you going to grow up? And I go, never. <laughs> well, see, never? That's,
1: that's, that's the best kept secret of mental health is Staying in touch with play, no matter what we're doing, whether we're at work, whether in relationships, whether we're trying to figure out what we want to do next, play is the source. There's a reason we start out as children with such extended periods of play development because evolutionarily, that's most important. And so I sometimes tell people that, you know, it's great to grow up, but don't forget to grow down and keep on growing down and growing up at the same time.
0: Okay. So are you a musician because I want to get into why you picked the Health Educator at Manhattan School of Music. Like why yeah. that area?
1: It's so funny because I sort of fell into it. I've always done college counseling and I went from different places Fordham where I went to grad school, Vassar where I did a postdoc, Ramapo, a small college in New Jersey, and you know, I love college, but it turns out yes, growing up I was an amateur musician. I was a pianist growing up. I trained classically and I learned jazz and it was always something near and dear. It's always been my best friend. Uh, the piano has mm. been a place that I go to. And so it just it just was serendipitous that I found wow. this part-time gig working at Manhattan School of Music and it sort of beautifully brings together all my different passions. So it, talk about play, uh, I, I actually fell into it because I was looking to do private practice so that I could be a full-time father as well. And in honoring mm-hmm. that, all of a sudden this gig opened up and it's like, oh, I could be a dad and be playful. I can be in my work and be playful. I can write. So I think there's something about really following your bliss as Joseph Campbell says, is so important.
0: Okay. So (laughs) I have to tell you a funny story. And I, are you, but let's back up. Are you really busy? Like at the school, with students like are you overwhelmed with students
1: it's busy i mean you know the funny thing is college counseling has always gotten busier and busier and busier and it's almost like mm. there's no like ceiling to how busy it can get which is which is why i think it's so important for us to send the message about like what is mental health how do we do this thing
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
1: because we we are overusing our resources and not using the resources right here and right here You know, and, and and I think when we have this kind of connection, like, that's why I write about like learning about improvisation because we all have to master the art of reading the changes in life. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't matter if you're a musician, changes are being thrown at us all the time. We just got on here and we're like, oh, we're going to try and work on this particular platform to do this podcast. And it wasn't working. And then you're like, all right, let's improvise. Let's use zoom. And we're like, okay, we're going to do it. It's all about that.
0: And I, you know, what's funny? I love that. Like, I love when I have to think on my feet and like figure out things. And like, oh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, you never know.
1: Well, to some people, that's really exciting and interesting of how we can be more resourceful and how we can find kind of new yeah. creative ways of dealing with things. But for for a lot of people, it's very stressful. And I think what we want to kind of show people is that you can have a combination of both. We do crave stability, mm. but we do crave variety right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, the, a the funny story I wanted to tell you because I was thinking of you, and they said, "Please tell, Michael, we need help." So I go into schools all ages, but recently, colleges, and I speak about train your head and your body will follow. Okay, fine. Fun things, tips you can do to get in that positive power mindset. And normally, I tell them about all the services available at their school. Right, OK. I'm excited. I go in. And here's all the availability. <laughs> I won't say the college, but they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, wait a minute. I don't, isn't that what you want me to isn't do? Isn't that what you
1: want? You? Yeah.
0: No. 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 Please they stop. said, please don't send us any more people. That's yeah. why we want people like you because yeah. they're looking for ways to do prevention. Yeah. They can't handle So I thought, okay. Some of the other schools I reached out to abroad, they normally get back to me right away, but my same thing is I'll highlight your service. And so I called them. They're like, yeah, we don't want anybody. I'm like, it's so funny,
1: right? It's so unexpected. You know what, Sandy, though? We're victims of our own success in mental health in a way, right? We've stigmatized mental health to a great degree that young people, especially young adults are feeling, this is totally cool. I can go and get the support I need, which is wonderful. The only problem is that it's, we don't have the structures and the systems and also the kind of communities that we used to um, in terms of, of helping with these normative human difficulties. And then of course, you know, colleges are inundated with students and they want to do everything, but they can't. And it's this interesting dilemma. I have a colleague of mine, his name is Ben Locke, and he worked at Penn State, a very big school, with a big counseling service, as you can imagine. And he's done a wonderful job. And he led this organization called the Center for Collegiate Mental Health, where they actually looked at data across the country to figure out what do students need? And they tried to revolutionize everything. And now he's working for an organization um, which basically has peer support Like it's an online community where, where kids help each other anonymously, but it's also monitored by clinicians. And the idea is that we want to help people to help each other more organically and to tap into our own strengths and resources and to do it in such a way where there is access. Yeah. But, but, but it's funny because college counseling is trying to keep up with it, but it's a 20th century model with 21st century problems.
0: Ooh, I like that. I don't yeah. like it, but I like the way you put that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's
1: true. And I mean, it's almost, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like the mortgage crisis, right? It's only so much that the economy can take. Before the whole thing collapses,
0: Crash and, and yeah.
1: what you're seeing is colleges trying to do everything. And God bless them. I'm a college counselor too. We're all trying to do the best yeah. we can, but the system cannot hold based on what it's trying to deal with. We have to be really, really creative about how we we figure that out together. And I think, I think it's mm. going to take some qualitative shifts.
0: So as far as immediate advice, I know for me, don't refer to them, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they are looking for guidance of how can they help these kids? I guess what you're saying yeah. is it's better to have more peer programs set up for them, or even freshmen with seniors. By the way, I went to a talk and in the middle of this girl stood up and said, can I ask questions? I'm like, Usually not in the middle of my speech, but you know, <laughs> and another, she was a freshman and other seniors did stand up and yeah. Got, so maybe they should start more of that. I, I don't know. Cause I honestly didn't know what to tell them. I said, it, I would ask you.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a really good question and it's, there's no single fix for it. Right. But you're right. I mean, I think helping all of us learn how we work from the inside out is really helpful we're yeah. we're really complicated creatures as human beings as you know yeah. and yeah. we have these many many different sides of self and they're constantly in tension and conflict and sometimes clashing and we expect to be this one dominant self and we're not and college students feel it the most because they're trying yeah. to figure out who they are but then they also have to reckon with who they're not or who they're not yet. Yeah, And I think one of the great things that we can do for American colleges is remind folks that it's a myth that it's the greatest four years of your life. It's sort of the best years, but it's also amongst the most difficult. And yeah. I think normalizing that is really helpful. And to say that it's, it's a really, really challenging crucible uh, of a time. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also wonderful beauty in it too. There's a lot yeah. of fireworks that come out of that crucible too.
0: Yeah. I think it's just like high school and middle school. Some kids had a pretty good time. Some kids didn't, you know, I know for a lot of my friends, they say college was the best time of their life. And I say so much for me. So, you know, but then again, I mean,
1: mean, Carl Jung said something like, um, you know, up until the age of 40, we're just doing research. That's sort of like when we start to develop a sense of. Our, our, true happiness. So we're just, wait a minute, data. wait
0: a minute, 40. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of research, a lot of
1: research, but, but, but I think the, the sort of expectation that we sometimes have when we're young is that we should have it all together. And sometimes, you know, that's based on also the pressure yeah. of like, I need to market myself for this job or, or show that I'm this person. And I think what it's important for, for, everybody to recognize is that we're much more in flux throughout our lives. And that's exactly. not necessarily a bad thing. And you don't know what is happening now might serve you later. And you don't know the fuller story yet. And so these are a lot of strands that you bring together. So you don't, ha- it's not always linear. It's often not linear. The best things in life aren't linear, by the way.
0: I agree. All right. Listen, you're making me feel really great about a lot of things. So whoo, there it goes. All right. <laughs> Number one question I got over and over again. So we're going to ask, we're going to flip it and get to some of the more mature people.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I was cracking up. Since we do have all these different personalities going on in our head, this young man, young man, he's 45, wants to know, does Michael ever have out loud conversations with him? He said, sometimes I play act. Okay, da, 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 da. and I talk it out with myself. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's so funny. I had one with myself this morning. Um, I ran out of regular coffee in the house. And, oh. I, and yeah, I like coffee. Um, and uh, I was recognizing that I was feeling a bit of withdrawal and I wasn't quite myself. And I was talking to myself, you know what this is you know, this is why you're going to get your coffee. I know you're feeling edgy. I was talking to that side of myself. That was just yeah. a cranky, angry, unhappy.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, and I do think you, you can talk it out loud, but you could talk it inside yourself. I think it's really important to also imagine what are the different sides that are coming to the front of the stage, which one is operating now, you know, is it, is it, anger? Is it sadness? Is okay, it I got desire? You. Is it envy? And, and just to like, sort of welcome them in and say, come, yeah, talk, talk to me. Cause, and, and, you know, Jung, Carl Jung said this, he called it active imagination. and And the reason he said active imagination is because he said, instead of trying to fight these things, interview them, query them, ask them for more, because that's when we really flow. That's when we flow emotionally and cognitively. And we've been trained a lot to wait, suppress or control this stuff, and then make sure you kind of this thing that you want to be or you're supposed to be, you do it well. That's good, but there might be more interest and dimension that you get from saying, hmm. You know, and so I even as I was driving, uh, I was I was driving to get to this place today to meet you because I'm going to my dentist afterwards. Great. Right. I'm excited for that. Yeah. So you're Uh, my you're my appetizer, um, which is much, much better. Um, But I was thinking to myself as I was driving. Huh. What am I interested in today? What do I need to do? What do I want to do? Hmm. What brings me interest today? And I turned down the radio and I just let myself talk with myself inside. Yeah. I think it's a really, it's like meditation. I think it's an important habit and not just a habit because habit sounds like work. I, I want it to be like play. I think it's a more interesting, fun thing for us to cultivate all the time. See, cause children do that. Children talk to themselves. They still talk to themselves out loud yeah. and we yeah. socialize them out of it, but it's actually quite wondrous. Cause you kind of hear them saying, Hmm, I wonder if I want to do this. Yeah. And we lose the thread of that particular thing. And that is the connector of everything.
0: You know, <laughs> I'll keep her anonymous, but a really close friend of mine, and uh, she called me when I was mountain biking. And I picked up, it was on my speak headphones, but I couldn't hang up the phone when she hung up and DoorDash was coming to her door. And I was trying to think, Oh God, I got to hang up. I got to, I don't want to listen. But the whole time she was talking to herself. Mm. Okay. Now you got your food. Now you got your napkin. Now let's sit down. Da, da, da. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop, but I don't want to listen in. So stop on the middle Hill and click. And I told her afterwards, she was laughing so hard. And she says, that's the way I calm myself down Yeah. by talking out loud to myself. So. That made me think about my son. He's on the high end of the autism spectrum. He's 19. He actually didn't get diagnosed until he was 17, but his entire life, he would jump on the trampoline, do this with his hands when nobody was else around and talk to himself. Yeah. And I just thought, I didn't know he had, I didn't know what it was. I just thought, okay, he's resetting himself. And my husband would say, what does he do? And I go, just let him go. Don't make him feel bad. That's the way he calms himself down in between going from school to sports and resets yep. himself.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: And, and to this day, he will only do it maybe if I'm around, but I feel bad like that. He just doesn't feel comfortable doing that, you know, to reset himself.
1: Well, I think, you know, I think but you're you're making a really great point for all of us to take here, which is that, we all need to constantly reset ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We all need to constantly soothe and check in with ourselves and to find our very unique ways of doing that. Yeah, Because my way is a little bit different and maybe a little bit similar to yours, but it's going to be very, mm-hmm. very unique. And I, I like to think of us, I've used this metaphor a lot, but I like to think of us having, we're each kind of born with a sort of instruction manual that we have to illuminate ourselves And we get hopefully better at learning how to troubleshoot and understand because in another way, we're basically sophisticated emotion regulation machines, very, very sophisticated, high level emotion regulation machines. And and the thing is that we constantly have to think, wait, and if we're not, and so that beautiful thing of your friend doing that, that's precisely what children do as well. And it's a wonderful internalization of good parents. Because what, a good, what do we do as parents? We provide kind of this wonderful kind of backdrop of emotional, regulational support. We do it in the wings, making it easier for them to shift gears between different modes of being, of feeling, mm. and thinking. And the more fluently, the more intricately and responsively we do that, the more it's possible for them to shift between different sides so that they don't even realize that there are different sides. And, and the more that we learn how to do that with ourselves, the more we become good parents to ourselves or even better parents than we Mm. had. Right. Mm. Because we're constantly trying to refine that because we are constantly shifting. They see that's the, that's the rub and the, that's (laughs) the rub and the beauty of us. Yeah. We are constantly shifting. And yet a jazz improviser doesn't say, oh, the chords are shifting so much. Oh, this is too much. They're like, the chords are shifting. Ooh, what new interesting line can I play on that? And when you watch children, they are the best improvisers in the world. They'll move from this to that. And of course, but when it gets too intense because they feel too much anger or sadness because it's so primal, they need us. Yeah. They need us to help them get back in, but yeah. you know, once we help them get back in and say, it's okay, honey, I saw that that really bothered you and it's going to be all right. Yeah, And all of yeah. a sudden they feel seen back in.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So for, for, for that person who wondered as a 45 year old, is it okay to talk? Yes, it's okay. And it's also, you don't have to talk it out loud. You can, but you can talk it as right inside your head. Yeah. It.
0: Yeah. I like that. So do you have private clients that are adults, not just college kids they want to know?
1: Yeah, I do. So I see everybody. I see, you know, 20 somethings, 30 somethings, 40, something's 50, something's 60 something, you name it. Yeah. <clears throat> because like I said, it's all about working with the changes of life. And yeah. every every place there's a new creative thing. Like I, I was working with a guy who interestingly enough, he was a conductor and and also you know, working on what it's like to be at this stage as a conductor in COVID and post COVID and at the stage of his life, you know, yeah. with looking back on his career, but also still in wanting to stay in touch with what is really his passion and even to rework and, and, and look at things that he still never felt like he was able to do. And it's really not any different than working with an adolescent in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. So, what do you mean by? And I want to get into your book, therapeutic improvisation. I want the the title right there. It's like, what is therapeutic improvisation?
1: Yeah. So, therapeutic improvisation is is essentially what we as therapists do, or like good parents, is we learn how to improvise and make something interesting and useful out of what's coming at us. Right. So if Sandy, you were talking to me as a client and all of a sudden you came in and at first you were talking to you're really angry and you're really upset about your friend. And yeah. it really bothered you. And then all of a sudden, quickly, you started to get really sad. And then all of a sudden you started to move to some other feeling. Yeah. Improvising is learning how to hear the, the constantly shifting melody and harmony of your experience and to try and give it back to you in a way that not mm-hmm. only shows you what I'm hearing, but helps you kind of do something new with it as well. And so improvisation is the is therapeutic improvisation is really deeply listening and really taking in the full thrust of your music, but also playing it back and maybe even varying it with you to find something new that we can discover in it.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: Isn't that cool?
0: Yeah, that's cool. And you know, when you were saying play, I love words. I, 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 Home in on one word every single day of what I want to embody. And it really helps me throughout the day when I reset myself. I said, Oh, I wanted to be powerful today, pure joy. Not that I'm not a bunch of other things, but it's just a fun thing for me to do. And I think just shifting, like you said, that word and how we look at things from habit to play. Yeah. My mind changes already. Like, okay, I'm in. Yeah.
1: Why should why should we ever stop playing?
0: Yeah. And, but even it's the same thing. I could be doing the same thing, but now I'm going to think of it in my mind. I'm like, okay, I was supposed to be playing all of a sudden my shoulders relax. I think of another creative way to find a solution to right. that situation.
1: Right. And that's, and that's, I think the other greatest secret in mental health is that mental health, people, people miss, misperceive mental health as the, the resolving of problems Right. Like the resolving of yes. symptoms, right? anxiety, depression, social difficulties, all that kind of stuff, which is great. And it's true. But honestly, I think that's more of a byproduct of learning how to play again, as Winnicott said. Right. Our, our, we really are trying to learn how to play or to be reminded how to play, as Winnicott said. And being reminded how to play helps us to resolve these problems more easily and the blockages to play are more important in fact you know freud didn't give too many too many pieces of advice to young clinicians starting out but his one piece of advice was to listen with evenly hovering attention which meant you should just allow things to be there and just listen and not just take it in because he sort of wanted this playful spirit and in a way he wanted people to kind of notice, but to almost, he, he almost used this, this analogy. It's almost like I listened to Roseanne Cash. She did this wonderful Ted talk and, and she talked oh. about this mentor of hers and said, we're all radios just trying to pick up each other's signals.
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: It's a good one. And, and, and really play allows us to pick up on our own signals and to pick up on the signals of each other in the world. And that's a delight yeah. Mental health is a delight. It's and 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 when we talk about solving problems, it's about solving riddles and getting to know the more beautiful intricacies of ourselves and each other. Yeah, yeah. not about oh, I got this anxiety or oh, I got this, right. It's not like a weight. And by the way, these are mm-hmm. these are also part and parcel of being fully human. To be fully human is to is to reckon with these challenges but that's part of the beauty right
0: yeah i don't know (laughs) in the last year or two of people are looking at it quite the same way because i'm sure you have had even more of this experience but many people that i work with on a different level who didn't feel like they had that much anxiety are having anxiety
1: yeah yeah. I mean, so, you know, one, pandemic, there's a lot of
0: imp like the world's like, ah, rah, rah, danger. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's
1: totally true. And I mean, like, think about this too, Sandy, right. We've had a global pandemic. We have climate change. We've had sort of political upheaval in, in, on the domestic front on in the international stage, like to crazy. say that we live in interesting times is an understatement. Right. But at the same time, the creative person, the mentally, the, the, the person who is most kind of integrated sees also possibility at the same time as uncertainty, right? Some of the best poetry, some of the greatest prose has been written from that place. Some of the greatest music, some of the greatest art comes from that place. In other words, I'm not trying to, to um, minimize the extent of how much suffering can get us, but also, what can we make of our suffering? What can we make of the world's suffering? And what can we do with it? See, I, th- there's a difference between sorrow or grief and despair, right? Grief is a declaration of how much I've loved that which is lost, which is a creative act in of itself. Despair is an abdication of any creative possibility, Right? So
0: I've got to think through that. Yeah.
1: So dis- despair is, is the place that we want to be careful of, right? Your COVID brought us a lot of de- terrible things being locked down, some people getting sick, some people that we love losing their lives, all, all these very terrible things. And yet at the same time, COVID also brought us unexpected kinds of interesting opportunities, to recognize who it is that are our real friends, who it is that are our real supports, what is most important to us in our mm-hmm. work-life balance, how we can notice the environment <laughs> that we sometimes take for granted, yeah, yeah, all of these different things. And so I think creativity is not about denying the dissonances of, of life it's about embracing them but bringing them into the music
0: okay i, I know have, i threw i threw a <laughs> lot
1: at you right there
0: i'm like and i'm very interested i'm like wait a minute i got to unpack that 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 i and overall i do agree and and you can see it in I could tell you which friends are going to rise and say, okay, this is an opportunity for growth. And which friends are going to be like, this sucks. Wad and don't call Sandy Weston. You know what I mean? Because they don't want to hear my pippy. Wah! Like, uh, so the friends that call me, they want to hear my way of spitting things and shifting it. And the other ones are like, yeah, we don't want to hear the shifting, You know, and I just, I know who they are. Right. And that's okay because they're probably right. I'm going to figure out a way to, Okay, we can we can figure out a way to have fun with this.
1: There I mean there's also you're right there's also a way of it's 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 an important balancing act to stay with real sorrow, real difficulty and yes. and and also not have like toxic positivity, right? Like yes. there's this thing of like toxic you know
0: like yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah,
1: but there's also creativity isn't toxic positivity. Yeah. creativity finds a way to integrate the beauty and the sorrow yeah the heartbreak and and the transcendence
0: yeah yeah and what i was talking about is more not the real heavy stuff but just the everyday life stuff but that what we're all experiencing and for me i'm always going to be that person that goes okay well we can't do all that but what can we do? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You, you're, you, you've got that old. I don't remember who said it, but there's this great quote: "Don't let what you can't do get in the way of what you can do."
0: Ooh, I like that one. What can be right? I love
1: quotes. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know who said it. I'll have to look it up for you. But yeah. it's so true, and that's that's hope. See, that's yeah, that's probably like, where
0: yeah,
1: hope see, and hope is a beautiful virtue to cultivate, and hope is something like even in the depths of the concentration camps Victor Frankl wrote that it was hope to be able to give or do something Ooh, right yeah that we have a why that we know that we have some way of making meaning that is everything that is the the candle of humanity that we hold up that we have kept going for centuries
0: so Do you think, and this is (laughs) a couple white people, they were challenging me. So they're like, ask this. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's do it. All right. So do you think if someone has been for like 52, I like this preciseness, 52 and a half years, always been that person that people call the realist. Yeah. Okay. Meaning this is how it is. Is that innately just how they are born? Or can that be changed at the age of 52 and a half years old? Because they've always been raised to, okay, these are the facts. That's what it is. Uh, Most people don't achieve that. You know, that's not the, you know, the stats. They're going to look at the statistic and go with that more than the dreamer, as they say. And this is a male.
1: First of all, we don't start out as realists. Nature doesn't start us out as realists. I don't think we we okay. certainly can be. I'm not pra- saying anything. We can certainly be practical. We can certainly be very curious about how the real world works, but we start with imagination first, and reality comes later. And if we're lucky, imagination and reality commingle in the creative space. That's what Winnicott, a child therapist said. And it's very, very true. In terms of the reality piece, I would also venture that this 52 and a half year old has had (laughs) many good reasons to make sure that the world operates under these principles because there's a possible threat of major disappointment or hurt or, or a sense that, you know, these, these idealistic views don't really work out. Sort of, I I sometimes think that, you know, um, a disappointed romantic can also become a realist, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But you're
1: correct that someone could also prefer to stay very, very firmly grounded in the real and dismiss the possible. Yeah. The only challenge is that that life loses a bit of magic if we're too real. In other words, it's like somebody who looks at a rainbow and says, that's just light refracting through water. Well, that's true. That's very true. And you could say that and you could do that. But if you kind of don't use your imagination and imbue it with what else it could be or connect it to the flood story with Noah and how it was a sign from God that no longer would you be flooded, there's so many magical places you can go. So I would challenge the 52 and a half year old to also wonder why, why it's been so important to have that realist view, Ooh. why it's been so helpful, why it seems superior and why the idealistic view seems so possibly untenable or even disappointing with just love for yourself and that.
0: Yeah. Because sometimes
1: yeah. also we become a realist because parents or teachers didn't give us, us enough safety or stability or room to be enchanted.
0: Gotcha. It takes
1: safety to be enchanted.
0: Yeah, I like that.
1: It also takes tenderness, by the way, too. So even this realist, I'd say, as the old song goes, try a little tenderness. (laughs) I like
0: that. All right. Next question came from a female who is. 58 and she's therapist. Cool. I, I sent some of my peeps your stuff. That's what before you came on and they sent me their questions and she says, what do you mean? Stop winging it. (laughs) All right, just to back up on the cover. Yeah, yeah, What do you mean stop
1: winging it as a therapist for my book, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's how how to own it as a therapist and stop winging it. So the idea is that when we feel like we're winging it, the implication is that sometimes we feel like we don't know exactly what's going on. We just feel like we're just trying to get by. And what I mean by owning it is not that you always know what you're doing or that you feel like the expert at all times, but that you're... you're you're in a creative flow where there's some kind of faith, but also some expertise and some trust in something bigger to emerge and also a, a deep authenticity because we can only own it when we're authentically ourselves and authentically connecting with another human being. So I meant it not in that just cliche way of stop winging it, but to feel <laughs> a sense of yeah. inner inner enlivenment like an inner kind of power that comes just like a jazz musician who's improvising they're winging it but what makes it improvising is they're winging it but they're also authoritatively connected to it yeah and they're also so it's this paradox of being authoritative and yet surrendering that's different than winging it winging it Almost comes from a place where we're more fearful of like, I just got to keep up. I, I don't know. Maybe this was good, right? I want you to feel like you own it. You own you, but you also own the fact that this process is so beautiful and that something brilliant can come between us. And the other thing is, as well as owning it, by the way, you know what someone who's good at owning it does? They also are always a perpetual student. I'm ready to listen and take in so that I can own it more with you. Yeah. So it's interesting when I say own it, it's actually this interdependent thing. That's really, really different.
0: I like that. All right. I'm going to have to skip to this question because this young man says, if he's 21, (laughs) he says, if uh, I just crack up, if one more person says to me, be your authentic self, I'm going to hit them. What? the heck that's not what he said heck
1: yeah I'm sure he said something else yeah
0: yeah what I don't want to get thrown out what the heck do they mean how could I not be myself
1: yeah I mean it's a really good question because there's so much lip service to this idea of being authentic right it it can be it it gets thrown around all the time it's become so trite and and so hackneyed right yeah um it's you know it's it's better to kind of say being in alignment really when we're in alignment with the different aspects of ourselves and we're tapping into them and connecting to them, whatever they are. That's why I said it doesn't have to be good stuff, by the way. You can be authentically sad. You can be authentically angry. You can be authentically envious. Authentic doesn't mean... Toxic positivity, just be yourself <laughs> and you're going to grow to be the oak tree.
0: <laughs> I haven't heard that word toxic positivity. <laughs>
1: yeah, but, but authentic means that you also have to live in what jean Paul Sartre, the great philosopher said, good faith. Good faith means being honest with yourself and what's really in you. And it's what mm-hmm. Carl Rogers, the great humanistic therapist said, being congruent. In other words, showing outside what's going on inside. It takes a great degree of strength to be vulnerable in that way. And authenticity is Mm. strong vulnerability. That's Mm. what I mean by authenticity. It's strong vulnerability, which means what am I feeling and thinking and how do I best represent that? That's authentic. It's also, it's also, it's also like when you look at a great novelist or a great filmmaker or a great singer, you get to know their voice. Their signature, which is them, and you listen to that song and you know it's them, you read that and you know it's them. That's authentic because they're not anybody else but themselves.
0: yeah, yeah. that's
1: the beauty of it. so it's not as cheesy yeah. as it seems yeah,
0: okay, so what is your routine? They want to know what do you do to ground yourself and reset
1: Oh my gosh, such a good question so. For me, uh, I need, I'm a total ambivert. In other words, I'm an introverted extrovert who needs a lot of time socially like this or even with groups. But then I need downtime by myself, walking in the woods, writing, playing piano. Uh,
0: You're giving me all these new words that I've never thought about in forever. So ambivert.
1: So Amber is, so, you know, we, I have a deeply introverted side that needs downtime by myself. I get emotionally, emotionally crabby if not, Yeah. but then I also love to shoot the breeze and have fun like this with socially. And when I don't have enough of that, I get lonely. Yeah. So I try to map out my day so that I have a really good mix. So I'll do sessions, but then I'll mow the lawn by myself. Yeah. And I'll listen to music and then I'll write the morning shower, by the way, is the greatest introvert sanctuary we have left in the world, right? Where there's no distractions, there's no phones buzzing at you. So I find the morning shower to be the place where all my creative ideas bubble up. And then I'm like, "Hmm, where can I place these? And of course, it's also about balancing body and mind. And that's why, because, you know, you know, what is our job as therapists is to sit in a chair and listen. Um, so I make sure that I balance that out with getting out of the chair and yeah, moving. Yeah. And sometimes I also do walking sessions nowadays with people too, because I want the best of both worlds.
0: Oh yeah. That would be fun.
1: It's fun. It's great. Talk about therapeutic for everybody.
0: Yeah. All right. I only can get two more of these in, but the other one is philosophy. Is there a certain type of training that you have that you bring to your therapy?
1: Oh, is there a certain type? So hmm, that's really interesting. So a big question, but I'll take it. I'll bet there, it. I'll, and it's I'll,
0: coming from a, a therapist who's a cognitive behavior therapist.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I think, you know, as you could probably tell, that I'm very relational in the way I talk about things. I'm not looking at just the individual, but I'm looking at what's going on. So I come from a very mm-hmm. psychodynamic place, but I also will bring in cognitive stuff, which is like talking about how you think. Yeah. and also working on behavior. I think the best therapists are like the best musicians. So the best musicians, Duke Ellington once said, a great musician, um, a good musician's music is beyond category. You don't, know, you don't need to decide which genre it's in. And I yeah. think the best therapists, okay. we use a bunch of all sorts of things. But yes, my philosophy is very rooted in a sort of interpersonal, relational, even psychodynamic place, but it's also very humanistic. It's very existential. Yeah, So it's a lot of it is semantics for the therapisties out there. Um, but what it comes down to, it's all about play. Yeah. All about interplay. Yeah. So whatever philosophy that's a part of, I'm a subscriber.
0: (laughs) I think it's the same thing. And a lot of these people I know are athletes because they were members of my gym. It's the same thing as what I feel an amazing trainer is. Yeah. If a trainer only has one system, okay, maybe that's what you want to go to, but I would rather them have a lot of different things up their sleeve so that they can do exactly what that person needs and it's going to light them on fire.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like a good musician. If you watch The Voice and you see these musicians mentoring these younger stars, right? Yeah. You can be well-versed in country, but you still can do blues and you could do rock and all sorts of things. And it's really about being a good musician. So
0: do you feel that, like you said at the beginning, I mean, I, I do think there's a shift, but, uh, some of the people here are saying they still don't even feel comfortable telling their spouse that they have anxiety attacks.
1: Yeah. To me, that's, I grew up with a social worker mother and, and I was very used to, we were very used to talking about feelings in my house. And (laughs) to me, it's a very, very strange thing to not be not be able to share that because I think sharing our vulnerabilities where we get closer. And I think I I would, I would actually challenge that person to say, I think you're actually giving someone a gift to share that, Uh you know, to get closer to you and because within anxiety is a deeper in window into the places where you have conflict, which means getting in touch with more facets of you. How yeah. could that not be anything but a gift?
0: You know, it's making me think of one of my clients, training clients was, told me, this man, that he was having an anxiety attack and he would hide it because one time his wife said to him, man up. Like, you shouldn't be acting this way. Like, come on, this is no big deal. Now, I can get why you would not want to reveal that. I felt so sad, you you know what I mean? That somebody would react to that. I don't don't even know what you would say to somebody whose wife reacted like that. That, to me, is very sad.
1: Well, I think, you know, here's the funny thing, Sandy. Like, we are as empathic with others in a way, as empathic as we are with ourselves. And to the extent that we can be more in touch with all those different sides of ourselves in a loving, compassionate, curious way, the more we can be with anything outside of us. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about that person feeling like I can't share it. They recognize that the other person might have difficulty with those sides themselves. Oh, yeah.
0: I, I agree. If, if they can't embrace that, it's something to do with them. You know, something's going on with them. Yeah. I yeah. agree. And I, I'm not. I sent him to a therapist because I said, "Listen, I'm your trainer. Like that's something that you should unpack with, a, you know, a professional." Because, it's worth it.
1: It's worth yeah. it for everybody because it's worth it for everybody. To befriend more aspects of themselves, and if we can't, then yeah. we we yeah. want to say, "Wait, why is that?" And yeah. and and that's okay. It's understandable. Maybe there's good reasons why it's hard for yeah. them to be- befriend it.
0: Yeah, I remember my son. He was in seventh or eighth grade and he wanted to go see, uh, the family counselor that they recommended at school. He's having trouble with his friends and he's like, yeah, I think I want to talk to someone. And then he came home and he said, mom, I decided everybody should have a therapist and talk to somebody that's not family once a week.
1: It's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's, (laughs) it's, it's really helps us. It's like a chiropractic for the psyche.
0: Oh, that's good enough. You have all these little tidbits and analogies, Michael. I'm like liking. And I know, do what I can, right? And then flying at me, all these different, <laughs> he said, she said, I'm like, wow, it's like all walking all the. that. All right. Well, I don't mean to tell you this, but not only is this over, but you have to go to the dentist,
1: Michael. I do have to go to the dentist. And... Is it
0: just a cleaning or do we got like, some no, cap? I got
1: to, I got to fill something, but it's a small one. It's a small okay. cap, but you know what? This was the best, best way to prepare. Yeah, (laughs)
0: because
1: I'm in a great mood now. Yeah, and and did you
0: get your coffee?
1: I did. Oh, I got it on the way here.
0: Yeah, I thought you. For sure,
1: for sure. But this has been so much fun, and Sandy, it's been such a pleasure and so refreshing. We have to talk again. We will. Um, But uh, for those of you who are wondering, if you want to know what play is all about, watch the way Sandy converses. This is, this is what it's all about. This kind of interplay is what Mm -hmm. true, enjoyable mental health is all about. The capacity to play with another person like this is the best.
0: I love that. All right. Before we go, where can they find you? Give us all the details.
1: You know, I don't even know. No, I'm joking. Um, so you can find it. I don't, me. Even,
0: know. I don't we'll, even know. We'll put it, you know. No, you can find you my know.
1: website is michaelalsi.com. and I also have a psychology today blog called Live Life Creatively. So there's a lot of cool articles on some of the topics we discussed.
0: I'm sure there are. Yeah I, yeah,
1: yeah, I got I got a lot of I, you can read about ambiverts on there and oh, I right think about, that's I was, me.
0: I think it's me because people always say to me, You love people, you love people, but then I'll go to the cabin and go.
1: Yeah, I'm totally like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You got to read that. And then for therapists or even lay people who want to get to know about how therapy works really well, if you're shopping for a therapist, my book is Therapeutic Improvisation, and it's, you know, on where you find books everywhere, you know, online and all that jazz. Um, But yeah, yeah, I I love, I love hearing comments. So if you have any questions for me or you're interested in, in counseling or anything, just shoot me a line.
0: You got it. All right, my Let's Keep It Real people, you had a treat. Not only could you listen to Michael, but you could see him. As always, we would appreciate if you rate, share, and like. It really does help. And until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Thank you, Michael, and toodles.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed
0: the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.